All right, amen. You can be seated. Hopefully uh, Mother's Day didn't sneak up on anybody too much. I think, I think if I'm not incorrect, I think this is about the earliest possible Mother's Day can be. So I know a couple of weeks ago, I was like, really? Already? We're, we're doing this? But uh, yeah, it, just, it hits early this year. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about Mother's Day, about what it means to be a mom, because um, this year, my wife, Anne, this was the first year she hasn't had a kid in the house. Our youngest son, Ezra, started going to school this year, uh, first grade. Uh, last year with coronavirus, we had done something a little bit differently. And it has been, it had been 14 years that Anne had had a, a young child in the house. Josiah, our oldest, turns 14 next Monday. And man, that's also that's really weird that's really yeah it's quite it's quite weird um whenever oftentimes when i'm around my dad he'll look at my sister who's three and a half years older than me and he'll just be like oh, i can't be- i can't believe my baby girl's 44 years old which of course my sister just loves to hear this on repeat and apparently it makes my dad really happy to say it i don't know but he just can't help himself uh but i get it because when I look at my own kids and I see them growing up, I'm like, man, they, they really do grow up very quickly and also very slowly at the same time. Uh, but over the past 14 years, many things have changed for our family. And when I think back to 14 years ago, I you know, changed a lot for both Anne and I when Josiah was born, but it definitely changed the most for Anne. Before Josiah was born, she was a fifth grade teacher. And when he was born, she stopped doing that and she became a stay-at-home mom. She gave up her right to a career to be a stay-at-home mom. Now, that doesn't happen for everybody. Different people have different situations. But for every mom, becoming a mom involves a huge, a huge amount of sacrifice, right? And my life certainly changed when we had kids, but Anne's life changed significantly more. And the extent of Anne's sacrifice has really become more obvious in this past year that Ezra, our youngest, has been in school because it's brought up all these questions of what's next for her? You know, she, she set aside this career 14 years ago, Is she going to do that again? Is she going to do something else? So her and I have had a lot of conversations about what's next. And inherent in those conversations is what sacrifices is Anne going to continue to make for our family? What what expectation should we have for her? What expectations is it reasonable for her to have of herself? Now, for those of you in here today, your situations are probably different from Anne's, but we all have to determine when to claim our rights and when to sacrifice them in life. This is a dynamic that is present in any relationship. Determining when to claim rights and depending when to sacrifice is not easy. And knowing what is reasonable to expect of others is even more challenging. In today's verses from 1 Corinthians, 
Paul is clarifying for the Corinthians what he has a right to and what he has willingly sacrificed for them. Paul has a list of things he has a right to that the Corinthians have no basis for denying him. He is the only one who can turn down what he has a right to if he has a good reason for doing so. Paul's approach to his own life is helpful to us as we navigate our own choices. We all have to make these choices on a daily basis about when to claim our rights and when to refuse them. And this is especially true within Christian community, which is built on sacrifice. Every Christian has rights. The individual chooses when to sacrifice their rights. The gospel proceeds through mutual sacrifice of individual Christians coalescing in a church community that mirrors the sacrificial nature of our Lord and Jesus Christ. Let's turn now to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We will read verses 1 through 12. Those verses can be found on page 899 in your pew Bibles. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. Hear the word of the Lord. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in the hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. People rarely have a problem knowing what they are entitled to. And Paul is no exception. In the second paragraph of today's verses, Paul highlights some of the things he is owned. His demands are not exorbitant by any measure. He wants to be able to eat and drink with the believers in Corinth. It's not that there are no food options available as Paul travels around. The Roman world actually had a variety of food options split up into four categories. There were bars and street vendors. 
fancy restaurants, and also fast food options. According to the Roman poet Horace, much of the food that was readily available to travelers was greasy. I guess it is true that the more things change, the more they stay the same. But Paul's concern is not with the quality of food available to him as he travels. His concern is for the Corinthians' disregard for him. They don't respect his rights. They don't respect what is owed. Paul's frustration that what he has a right to is not acknowledged comes screaming off the page. He compares himself to others. He says, do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Cephas is the name for Peter. Peter apparently traveled with his wife, but Paul was not extended the same courtesy by the Corinthians. This is kind of a funny example to bring up because it brings up the question of if Paul was even married. It's not the point of these verses, but some of you might be interested. We know when Paul is writing this, he is single due to other previous comments he has made in the letter. Nobody knows for sure if Paul was married at one time. The best argument I have ever read is that Paul likely was married because he was a young, relatively young, faithful Jewish guy. And it was just an expectation that you would be married. So Paul's wife had either died or she had left him. But that's not the point here. He brings up traveling with a spouse just to make the point in his argument, or maybe because Barnabas had a wife. Whatever Paul's prior marital status was, it's not the point. He doesn't believe he would be able to travel with a wife if he had one. His frustration is rooted in feeling disrespected. Now, we see this all the time when a professional athlete is negotiating for a new contract with their team, you'll often hear them claim, it's not about the money. It's about the respect. And, and we kind of laugh at that, we chuckle at that, as we should. But for a lot of these guys, that's true. If being the highest paid receiver in the NFL meant that you were getting paid $20 million a year, that's great. But if being the fifth highest paid receiver in the NFL meant that you were only getting paid $25 million a year, they would rather be the highest paid guy at $20 million a year than the fifth highest paid guy at $25 million a year. They care about being respected. And we, we can get that. The desire to be respected is universal among human beings. Everyone wants to know that they matter. One of the ways we show people respect is by giving them the benefits they have earned through their efforts. The fact the Corinthians will not acknowledge Paul's rights is more than a personal problem of feeling disrespected, though. It is a crisis 
of authority. The Corinthians, or at least a group within the Corinthian church, they don't respect Paul. This is baffling to them. The church exists as a result of his efforts there. He highlights this fact in verse 2 saying, If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Paul has poured out his life for these people. He has invested time and energy in them. He worked as a tent maker to fund his efforts on their behalf. Paul is like the dad complaining he gets no respect. The reason Paul is not respected is connected to how he has handled himself in relation to the Corinthians. The way he is treated by the Corinthians is a result of what Paul has done, not in spite of it. What did Paul do to warrant such disregard? Did he lie, cheat, or act in inappropriate ways? No, the Corinthian disrespect of Paul is a product of the sacrifices he has made. Because of their worldview, the Corinthians interpret Christian sacrifice as weakness. They would have more regard for Paul if he acted like more of a jerk. Unfortunately, this same dynamic sometimes plays out in Christian communities today. Christian sacrifice gets confused with worldly weakness. The aggressive bully gets shown more deference than the humble servant. This does not line up with how the kingdom of God is supposed to operate. This confusion must be set straight. If it is not, the church will operate no differently from the world. Sacrificial work in the church should be a reason for respect. Those who do work should be rewarded by those they work for, whether it is in the church or in the world. Paul's claims in this regard are not based on human authority, but God's. He points back to the Old Testament law, quoting from Deuteronomy 25.4. That verse says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. That seems like an odd verse to select, to prove the point Paul is making. It's one of those Old Testament laws that makes me wonder why it was there in the first place. Was muzzling oxen, uh, was that a big problem? Was that something that needed to be addressed? Or maybe Israel was a nanny state with rules for every action. It's unclear how much of a problem muzzling oxen was, but Israel was definitely not a nanny state. You have to understand how the Old Testament law functioned. It functioned differently from modern law codes. See, we try to have a specific rule for every possible situation or scenario. In the Old Testament, the laws that were given reflected general principles that could be applied in all types of situations. In a way, the Old Testament law functioned like a series of object lessons. 
Determining the bearing of laws on situations that varied was one of the roles of the elders of Israel who acted as judges in disputes when Israel was an independent nation. Rabbis filled a similar role later. Some rabbis became famous for systematically extrapolating the truth of God that formed the basis for the various commands. There was a guy named Gamaliel that was one of these famous rabbis. We know from Acts 22.3 that Paul studied under Gamaliel. He was thoroughly trained in the law of his ancestors. Paul referencing an obscure law about oxen is in line with how God's truth in the Old Testament was accessed. Paul makes his point clear. God cares enough to ensure oxen don't starve while they work. He cares just as much about those working in the world, whether their work is spiritual or physical. The way the Corinthians are treating Paul is not just disrespectful to him. It is in defiance of God. God is concerned for people. The, this situation isn't just a matter of Paul and the Corinthians working out what is socially reasonable. God has a say. Presently, the Corinthians are sinning against God by the way they are disrespectfully treating Paul. While it is not stated outright, the message is clear. The Corinthians, they need to repent, to be right with God. They need to treat the person working on their behalf as the law of God demands. Whenever I have heard today's verses referenced, the point has always been pastors should be paid for their work. That's a fair application point to make. There are churches that don't take care of their pastor's needs. I have a, I have a friend that I went to seminary with, and right after seminary, he went and, and worked for a church in the, in the Boston area, and this church just refused to make any meaningful effort to help meet his financial needs. And, and when he came to them and said, like, guys, this just really isn't working. They said, your wife should work more. That was, that was their solution. And not surprisingly, my friend didn't last much longer at that church. He and his family got, got burned out and eventually stepped away from the ministry. Now, thankfully, you guys will all be glad to know, I don't feel any need today to make this point for myself. I don't like situations where I have to awkwardly advocate for myself. So it's really nice that I don't have to do that in this situation. Because sometimes, I'll, I'll just give you guys a little thing here. Like, when I'm, when I'm deciding, when I'm thinking through what I'm going to preach on, um, I'll, I'll, I'll think up some possible ideas, pray about it. I'll go to the elders and I'll say, what do you guys think about these ideas? They'll give me some feedback, whatever. But often when I do that, especially when it's about a whole book of the Bible, like, hey, let's do a series on 1 Corinthians. There will be things I'm like, 
I actually didn't focus that much on those specific verses when I was saying I was going to preach the whole book. And then I get to the verses, I'm like, oh no, I don't want to preach on those verses, okay? And today's verses would fit in this category of verses where if I could avoid it, I would just avoid it because I don't like doing awkward things when I can avoid it. But thankfully, this doesn't have to be as awkward for me because you guys are awesome and I appreciate that. Okay, so anybody that was feeling stressed about that can, can feel okay about our dynamic, okay? The implications of these verses are not restricted to the financial needs of pastors. Within Christian communities, there will be people in a variety of positions of authority. They may be staff or they may be volunteers. God cares about how those who are working on his behalf are treated. It should be a priority of churches to care for those who work for the Lord. And now I'm going to go off script, which, which is always dangerous, but I'm going to do it. Okay, let's say there's a ministry and the people doing the ministry are working really hard with the resources they have and they're doing their best and they put in all this effort and they do the thing whatever the thing might be and then somebody comes to the thing who generally makes no apparent effort and then complains about the thing this is a thing i'm going to say thing a lot this happens right this happens you know just keep it to yourself okay if you if you have not developed that part of your personality that you can give constructive and help constructive feedback great constructive feedback if you can't do that in a constructive and helpful way just sit there and enjoy being discipled until you can okay that may sound like a jerk thing for me to say but and, and i can take it when it's directed at me and it so rarely is again because if anything, this church shows too much respect for me. Seriously, appreciate you guys, love you guys. But what I hear and what makes me mad is when I hear somebody say, I don't want to volunteer for that thing anymore because I'm sick of people telling me that I'm doing a bad job at it. I'm serious. Okay? I'm serious. Like, don't share it. Just keep it to yourself. Bring it to God or, or volunteer. That's great. Okay? So this is a boundary that we need to set as a church. We need to make an effort to respect and love each other well. It's not just a financial issue. Someone with a willingness to serve should not be treated as a servant just because they are willing to serve. That is what we need to keep in mind. Paul has effectively argued for the rights of those doing spiritual work in the verses we looked at so far. In the second part of verse 12, he sets aside any of his arguments implications for himself for him the priority is not his own well-being he doesn't claim what he could he has not made use 
of these rights. Paul could have demanded the Corinthians pay him. He did plenty of work that warranted material compensation. Instead, he worked. When he was with the Corinthians, he made money as a tent maker. I preached a sermon on what this trade involved back in the fall. It was not an easy job. It was hard manual labor. The reason Paul worked as a tent maker, in addition to his work as an apostle, was strategic. He would endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel. He didn't want there to be any confusion about his motives. By paying his own way, he removed money as a possible obstacle. The gospel of Christ was Paul's priority. Everything else was secondary. The only reason Paul is having this conversation with the Corinthians at all is that they misunderstood the situation. Paul is not demanding compensation. Paul, Paul not demanding compensation has led to a lack of respect. This lack of respect has become an impediment to hearing the gospel of Christ from Paul for the Corinthian church. Paul's refusal to take advantage of his rights, it creates a dilemma for Christians today. Does a person claiming their rights indicate that the gospel is not enough of a priority? Not even Paul gave up his rights in every situation. In Jerusalem, when he was brought before legal authorities after being attacked by an angry mob, he claimed his rights as a Roman citizen. In these verses, he is claiming his right to spiritual authority as an apostle. Whether or not Paul claimed what was owed him depended on the situation. He was willing to sacrifice it if it furthered the gospel. Initially, his sacrifice for the Corinthians had paid gospel dividends, but that was no longer the case. In here, each person, every Christian has certain rights. It is up to the individual at what times they choose to exercise those rights. Healthy churches don't try to force people to give up their rights. They don't cajole or manipulate. That being said, the Christian who never sacrifices what they have a right to has failed to thoroughly embrace the gospel of Christ. The beating heart of the gospel is the sacrificial love of God expressed most fully in Christ on the cross. Any who have experienced this sacrificial love will be motivated to express it to others by sacrificing their own rights at times when doing so can remove an obstacle to the gospel for another. You have probably heard a preacher say at some point that if the gospel is preached, everything else will take care of itself. I hear what that statement is trying to communicate, but it limits the gospel 
too much. Paul understood claiming his rights could act as a barrier to the gospel or facilitate its spread. Our actions do the same. Proclamation and action need to be sending the same message. In a church, sacrifice is necessary. A church without people who sacrifice is a church that cannot communicate the gospel effectively, whether the words spoken from the, whatever the words are, they're spoken from the pulpit on a given Sunday. A church that doesn't show respect to sacrifices made to further the gospel undercuts the gospel. The willing sacrifice of individuals for the sake of Christ comes together in a church, thereby extending the gospel in the world. Every person that is part of this church has rights. Every person that is a part of this church needs to sacrifice. Our effectiveness at proclaiming the gospel as a church will depend on how we work out that tension between what we have a right to and what we are called to sacrifice for the good of the gospel. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I want to start uh, by just thanking you for uh, the mothers in this room today. Thank you for those that have had their physical children. Thank you for those that have acted as spiritual mothers that have loved and mentored Lord. And, and we recognize the challenges that come with motherhood, Lord. And I pray for us today as we commemorate Mother's Day. There would be a day that we think about the sacrifices that we are also called to make as individuals in our lives. For some of us, that, that has parenting impl implications. For others, it's situations at work or whatever the case may be, Lord. But we know it's also here in this community, in this church, Lord. So I pray that you would be with us, that you would help us to show the respect to one another that are called for by the sacrifices we observe, and also that we ourselves would be willing to make sacrifices. And, and that through that, Lord, through that love, through that respect that we show to one another, that we would highlight the effectiveness of your gospel and its, and its change in us and individuals and as a community. I ask all these things, in Jesus' name, amen.